Parsons Hill. We've got you covered. 87.9 FM. It's where you're at. You're listening to Metro FM Talk with Ayabonga Klawe. Weeknights on Metro FM. Business Wrap of the Day. Business Wrap of the Day with Ayabonga Klawe. Twenty-three minutes it is after seven PM. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here at the Mighty Metro uh, at the start of this uh, new week, and uh, we uh, kick things off as we often do by taking a look at the latest out in the markets. Joined uh, on the line by Snesipo Maninjwa, independent market commentator, analyst, and CA. And Snesipo, before we went to the break, we were talking about gold fields, which gave some guidance earlier today to the market. Uh, and uh, primarily, I would think, to shareholders. Um, some people might see it as a bit of a sweetener, but I'm quite interested in your thoughts. I mean, on the kind of shareholder uh, to whom a discussion on dividend yield uh, might uh, appeal. I mean, w- which kind of shareholders would be interested in gold fields and Chris Griffiths and his team saying, look, we're probably going to pay out or have a payout ratio much higher than maybe some comparable firms in this market. Um you know, what kind of investors would, would those be? Um, so it, 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 it would literally be your value investors. Okay. Which is your what? Value. What is that? Um, so a value investor goes on intrinsic market value, looks at capital appreciation as well as um, uh, consistent cash flows. Oh, I see. Okay. So your large, um, so that's what you call value because gold as an asset class is not viewed as a growth investment stock. So we don't expect the, the although if you look at the five-year track record, um, they've um, in the past three years, the, the share price has doubled in the past five years. It's gone up by 227%. That is good on some years, but it's not the type of stock where you can say doubles in a year. So you're looking for those your stable type of investor would look at it. This added sweetener um, allows them so. Besides the dividend um, increase in your dividend guidance, bear in mind no company is obligated to give dividends, but it does give someone ability to model forward in terms mm. of what expected cash flow position look like. With the fact that they're also going to be traded, um, they've also applied to be listed on the Toronto Exchange, it, it allows them for number one to also get greater access to liquidity. So those are quite very, very important for your typical value investors. Mm. So we see sure. them as sort of your value investors in that you've got enhanced liquidity, enhanced liquidity in some instances can lead to a greater um, an increase in your share price. Sure, sure. The tradability of the counter. Just, Bob, just, just a quick one. I mean, if I'm a shareholder of Yamana, what, what's in it for me to be issued with Goldfield shares as part of this deal? I mean, what, what value so, do I see? So that's also part of the reason for the Toronto listing. It's for the Yamana shareholders. Because although Goldfield is a very large operation, it's one of the largest gold operations, from, a, again, this talks to an investor relations perspective. It's, it, it's listed in, in Southie. Like, yeah, it's listed in Southie. So you, you want access to that broad network of um, investors and enhanced liquidity that. They, they have been enjoying so far and that they want to continue to sh- enjoy. Okay. Let's have that so in. Yeah, yeah. Sort of two problems. Your two problems because ultimately, besides Goldfield's 75% threshold, you also have Yamana's 57% share um, 
a threshold that they need to get from their shoulders as well. So the proposals are to sort of satisfy each um, shareholder body because ultimately it's gold fields swelling up in Yamana. Mm-hmm. Let's shift our attention, I guess, uh, to um, two stories out in our SOCs, and uh, we can't really help it. I mean, with all of us in the dark and all manner of other challenges there, but uh, take a look at these. The one, um, I guess, Bloomberg leading with a story earlier on today, South African Employment and Labour Minister saying he certainly is not in favour of privatising ESCOM in particular. Um, unsurprising. Um, I mean, a Central Committee and Politburo member of the SACP, unlikely. Uh, that uh, he would go out and uh, say he's in support of uh, privatization. But I guess it does leave more questions than answers, uh, largely insofar as the nature of the restructuring process that a lot of people have spoken about out at ESCOM. So, um, so not surprising from the minister. Ultimately, what has tended to follow in each privatization uh, drive in, from the from SOE perspective, there's been mass retrenchments. As Minister of Labor, SACP, they will always be against that uh, fundamentally. And even when you look at the, the decoupling of ESCOM into the different, um, into the different um, entities, um, such as distribution, transmission, and generation, uh, I, I, I do see some level of um, optimization in terms of from an employee member perspective, but uh, it's nothing new from the minister. In all honesty, and we mustn't like um, we mustn't um, we mustn't we mustn't we mustn't um, we mustn't ignore his comments on the labour aspect. What I think is more important uh, from a quality perspective when we speak about the comments that he did make was the cost of generation, and I think that's where we are at currently. We need to actually go back to principles, first principles in terms of ESCOM is a cost recovery model, meaning that it a private entity has a profit recovery model. So unfortunately, because of the inefficiencies in the on the operations and specifically when we talk about the um, the commissioning of the two coal power plants, which is where the actual issue is, if you just exclude them, your cost of generation is not quite high. A private producer needs to have profits. There needs to be a return of capital in the form of dividends, etc. So, therefore, fundamentally, when you just go back to those first principles on the the cost of generation to the consumer, to the consumer, you understand his point where it will be more expensive. And with a, a country as us, where there is um, there is um, some level of free electricity generated and um, given to your lower income households. I don't think a private producer would maintain that, that, that same level of arrangement because it's effectively eroding your profit base. And then you add the fact that ultimately very few people actually pay for ESCOM from a population perspective, if we have to be very real mm. on that. So would a private producer still maintain that heavy debtors book that ESCOM has maintained as the fact that it is an SOE and then he has to think of the country considerations, the country considerations. But I digress. Um, just because it's said by him doesn't invalidate any of the points that he's made if we take it back to first principles. So in a sense, I mean, I think the point um, that you're making, which is exactly the same as that being made by the minister here, is that the mix of incentives, be it from 
not just a cost recovery perspective, but uh, being able to recover profits. And also from, you know, a, um, I guess, a debt book perspective, um, that if ESCOM were to be in private hands, you agree with him that there would certainly be challenges in being able to access it for many poor working class households who might not be able to pay the tariffs that that scenario would imply. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. I don't disagree with his comments. I just think that people are not taking it from first principles and and walking back. Um, he's, he, it's not invalid what he's saying. Mm, mm. And then I guess, I mean, you know, there's another dynamic to it. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one before we let the ESCOM issue go. It, it, it does seem, I mean, nearly over a week since... Um, you know, the uh, uh, industrial action ended and seems workers found one another with the employer, uh, that um, the scapegoat still remains the workers. I can't hear you. It seems a week after the workers uh, agreed with ESCOM on a wage offer that much of the plant breakdown and weak performance at ESCOM is still attributed to the action that they undertook. Yes, they did say that it's going to take a while to restart operations um, and it's going to take about another 10 days or so. Um, that's not to be expected, unexpected. It, these are very big plots. I don't, so if they're not running it currently, it does take a bit of time. Will we still have load shedding? Yes, we will. Because ultimately we have an insufficient generation capacity and plant availability factors. But so, Bona, so the thing is that ultimately we're supposed to have stage two. They added the additional, the industrial action added a few thousand, a few thousand megawatts being unavailable more. So there was always, there's always a shortage. They just made, it, it just said we went from stage two to stage six where we spent six hours effectively with no electricity. Uh, some of us, some people spent six hours. But, that fundamentally was 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 always the argument. It was never going to be. I think we I think we need to walk back and remember that we ultimately have an insufficient generation, insufficient generation, and we have a capacity constraint. There are things that will make that worse. Things that make that worse is unplanned breakdowns, it's industrial action, it's high cost of diesel, uh, weight coal, but fundamentally. And this is where we need to get. We need to have additional capacity on the mm. grid. This is not a for debate. No, However, I, I, I hear you. Make, there are things that will make things worse. And remember, all of this always speaks to a generation profile. And those, that's also what it's, it's when these things happen. Mm. You, we understand that winter tends to have a very peak demand. Sure. And the peak demand is because it's cold. We all have our heaters on. Yeah. Snezipo, I want us to pause on that one. Point well made. And uh, I want us to come to SAA just with the time we have. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. What do you make of this new court challenge here for the SAA Takata Consortium Strategic Equity Partnership? Uh, and I think many people have asked uh, what the role of RMB was. Uh, and uh, we didn't know that RMB was, um, I guess, involved in a particular stage of this in, in as much detail until we saw a statement being released from the Department of Public Enterprises. What do you make of this one? Um, so um, let me just, I think we need to walk back out of um, the person who's making the challenge, the entity is making the challenge. I think it's generally a non starter. It's generally a non starter. It's generally a non starter because even if they were allowed to bid, they have no aviation experience. 
this is a shareholder in Richard's Bay Minerals. What do they know about running claims? So for me, I think I think what they're attacking is the process. And I think that's where I think the, the, the argument has come and they've been attacking of the process because initially R&B was appointed to run the process of finding a strategic equity partner for SAA. They ran a process and themselves and the Department of Public um, Enterprise then had a splitting of um, ways. And then it was announced soon after that the Sakazo Consortium was the um, successful, was going to be the uh, strategic equity partner for FAA. Mm. In recent events, there's been, in recent times, there's been uh, announcements uh, by various parties in terms of who was on the shortlist and who had um, submitted this. On reflection, and now that we're sitting in 2020, now it's been over a year since the transaction has been announced. I can guarantee you, I, I do believe they were the best ones. I think we, I sometimes people think, we, people like to talk about um, um, the investment manager and how it specifically as the PIC but forgetting that they are the owners of Lanteria Airport. Forgetting the guy at Lyft. Wait, who's the owner? Harith, right? Yes, Harith. But they also have Global Aviation, which has some aviation experience, yeah. They've got, they've got, they actually, if you think of, and they actually have the balance sheet. The question was, I think this is where they sort of got me over, um, 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 got me over was specifically the fact that they had a 3.5 billion injection. If you look at any recent reports, you heard the guys at Flight FA talking about they had about just under a billion of um, capital. You talked about uh, Kenya Airways uh, having some level of they still need to figure out their funding. If you looked at who could close the deal and who could um, access the cash flow, who had it ready on the hand. They, they, they're a natural selection. My question on this part, someone needs to actually explain to me, this, walk me through this process, and what actually is the issue of selecting them as the consortium holder? The $3.5 billion, who's going to find the check? If you can find another partner that can put down $3.5 billion, that's what they've announced, that's what they've committed to, because that's what's going to be needed to restart the operations. We've seen what insufficient insufficient capital rate has done if we look at the case example of Conway, which has now gone into liquidation. Mm. And they had, we can see the profile, we can see the profile. So my question is, I, someone genuinely needs to explain to me this in basic English terms. What is the issue of them being selected? There was no, in, in, in any scenario that was predicted, any shareholder coming in was never going to take part take responsibility for the historic debt. No one was. So someone needs to genuinely explain to me what, and even if you unpack SAA, and I think SAA, um, if you unpack um, SAA financial operations, and you did dive in terms of the asset register, what was left after that Coleman guy sold all the airplanes? So I sometimes find a lot of these well, things. Well, no, but Snesipo, I think, I think the issue is, and we mustn't you know, dismiss, I think, a lot of the people who are raising this asset question, that SAA, if we only look at just the retail counter, then I think your point is valid. But if you go much further into the fact that you had SAA Express, which had its own assets, uh, and I'm not only talking about aircraft, uh, Air Chefs, Mango, and SAA Technical, um, 
I, I don't sort of dismiss very quickly people who would say that. And, I, and there's still question marks now around what happens to the future of Air Chefs and Mango as a result of this tie-up, which is probably one of the issues that is being raised here. The issue is not the, the entities because those entities were being cross-subsidized. So we can't look at the only entity for me that you can have a woman of um, expression is FAA Technical because of who it services in the other aviation sectors. But when we look at the cross-subsidization, not only from what made Mango look profitable was the lease arrangement it had with FAA, which was at below mm. value. No, no, so I'm, I'm not saying Mango was profitable. I'm saying Snesipo. The issue that these guys are raising, whether or not their uh, core challenge is frivolous or not, the issue they are raising is yet to be answered, be it by you know, lawmakers, by the DPE, or even SA itself. What becomes the future of some of the operating entities that sat under the SAA stable insofar as the strategic equity partnership process is concerned? And I think that question, alongside many other process issues, um, is what might make what, uh, for all intents and purposes, might be a frivolous challenge, something that I think a lot of people are paying attention to. Um, so, so, those, so, like I said, I think it's a frivolous challenge. That is my personal opinion. <laughs> but it, it generally is my personal opinion because fundamentally, even if you look at the questions that they ask, if I'm buying an asset, I need to have a business model in mind for that asset of how I'm going to run it. I can't be asking a transaction advisor yeah. to tell me what is the business model. That, that for me, just it, 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 it was a moot point. It Look, was a I mean, as I said, this, I don't think the issue here is about the merits of, of their bid more than but, it is about a process but, challenge. But, yeah. but, but, but to take me through what exactly is, if, please explain to me what exactly is the issue. Because I think we need to, we need to understand the deal parameters that will be offered. But to I'm India. trying to explain that to you. So I'm saying the issue is not necessarily about the merits of their as total investment holdings the merits of whatever prospective bid had been. If you read what they are saying, it's got nothing really to do with whether or not we felt we were overlooked. Of course, they say that. But a big part of the issues that they are raising is insofar as what happened once this thing was kicked down from the RMB to the DPE and what subsequently happened. And I think that is what a lot of them are trying to get ventilated through this court challenge. It's not about getting total you know, in the running. I mean, that's, I think that's far from, you know, anywhere near what it is that they want here. So, so, so then I, 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 like I said, this is the, this is the way the way people lose me on this one. <laughs> so, so really lose me because yeah. we, I think, I think we, we forget the merits. We forget we're acting as if SAA was a crown jewel. The asset proper like asset acquisition, yeah. Instead, in, instead of a, a leak to the fiscus, I think we need to. If there's a crown jewel, and so let's do this. Let's do this. I've got a spot break nearing on me. Hold that thought. Let's take a brief break. We'll continue on the other side. At Boston City Campus, we're subsidizing up to one third of your higher certificate fees in 2022. Don't wait. Apply and register now to start studying 1 August. Boston.ac.za. Serious about education. Serious about you. You're listening to Metro FM Talk with Ayabonga Klawe. Weeknights on Metro FM. Business Wrap of the Day. Business Wrap of the Day.
Yes, I'm in conversation with Nesipo Manindra, independent market commentator, analyst and CA for our wrap of the top business stories. Nesipo, we had to quickly check in with that uh, spot break there, but uh, do conclude the point you were making. So I think we forget, we need to ask, was FAA a crown jewel or a leech on the fiscus? The billions, the tens of billions of rands that's gone down the drain and the billions that are still going to be needed mm. because of the debate on the politician, we need to actually think of this way, this way. What was the most profit-maximizing way for the government to dispose of this asset? They needed to dispose, if we, we have to look at it from this way, they needed to dispose where they still retain some level of shareholding. Sure, sure. And they needed to find an equity partner that would ensure would have the financial muscle. Now the question then becomes, out of all those equity partners, who, who presented the most viable case? You need to pick technical and operational capability. And so out of all of those bidders, if we look at it from a local market, there was only two bidders really who actually had that. Do we um, really know that? Do we really? I mean, and and the the reason why I ask, I think we can only speculate because we don't know who the bidders were. So some of them, um, some of them have been reported, and some of them it's flights of air, which we can agree flights of air, which they're great. The you know those ones they've they've done it. Uh, they they so they do tick the box. Of, I won't even let's not even lie. Sure, they do tick sure. the box into operational and technical, and I think where where they had a bit of a what it was where they had a bit of a the specific consultant the one that ended up being the winning where they had a bit of a. Um, I think a more benefit was the fact that they came with an asset management, which is bank. Sure. They no, no. So, 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 I'm saying I want us to be cautious because there are 30 expressions of interest that were submitted, um, both locally and globally. Uh, and I don't know if we can really say that only two of those would have had this this expertise that you're talking about. So firstly, access to the capital for post-commencement funding, so, right through to, you know, the aviation experience and all of the things that we mentioned, because we only know of those where there's, am I him, him, that so-and-so was involved and so on. So we do have an indicative list based on what was reported and what was confirmed as some of the entities had had, had, had level of expression of interest, an expression of interest. Um, expression of interest. However, the ability, so when we look at, um, in my prior life, when we look at there's people who are interested in buying assets, there are people who could buy it, and there are people that should be able to buy it. So we look at, so we, you, you, I think when we, we some, for me, regardless of some of the talk, I think we, we I think if we were to independently with clear heads ask sure. ourselves, do you think they're, they're, they're a competent bidder? Stensible, I, I, as I said, I mean, I explained to you, um, the bid itself might be frivolous. I'm not going to engage the merits. I don't think there are any merits in the bid itself. Uh, but I think the whole point here is to uh, bring to light some of the processes. Uh, and I think that, for me, is the more political issue. But we're going to have to leave it here. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. Um, yeah. and, and maybe this process might put to light who some of these 30 entities that put in expressions of interest are because to my mind I certainly don't know who they are aside from what has been said about Kenya Airways this and the other Ethiopia or whatever but we'll have to leave it there for tonight always a pleasure catching up with you and thank you very much for your time pleasure I am
Stis Bomani Njwa, the independent market commentator, analyst and CA. I'm going to take a brief break now. When we come back, uh, Ranzu Temba is my guest. She speaks on behalf of the Ministry of Police. And uh, we talk about the horrific scenes we've seen over the course of the last few days.